Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help. Um, this is Sue Bergeson. I'm lucky enough to have on the line with me Dr. Melvin McGinnis, the Director of Psychiatry Bipolar Section of the University of Michigan. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. One of the things that you and I have talked about is this fascinating world of, of um, genetic susceptibility and you know what really causes bipolar disorder. And I know that that's really one of the questions we all ask right away. Mm-hmm. How the heck did I get this? Can you shed any light on yeah. that? Well, uh, the answer is we, we, we don't really know how uh, how people are, and individuals, you know, quote unquote, get uh, bipolar disorder. What we do know is is that there is a propensity or a tendency for it to um, to run in families. Uh, uh, and so that if there's someone in the family that has bipolar disorder or any other mood disorder, uh, there is an increased risk of the individual to develop themselves. What it is they actually inherit, we don't really quite know yet. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, I've noticed is that there's a lot in the news over the last couple of years about about genes and, and all sorts of things like I see here, a mutant gene linked to treatment-resistant depression. I sure. see over here something called... Uh, Trek one and over yeah. here p11 what what is happening in the area of, of genetics that that is encouraging or even interesting for us well what is happening is, is that scientists are now um, having uh, availability and the ability to study larger groups of individuals with this disorder and compare their genetic makeup to individuals that do not have the disorder. And what they found is is that there are sometimes variants of a particular gene that are found more frequently in individuals with, for example, bipolar disorder than in individuals that do not have it. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not that it doesn't exist in the individuals that do not have bipolar disorder. It's just more frequent in the individuals with bipolar disorder. So these genes that we hear about in the media are neither necessary nor sufficient uh, to develop bipolar disorder. It's sort of like having uh, high cholesterol put you at risk for heart disease, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get heart disease. Oh, okay. So when you were talking a few minutes ago about increasing the risk, even as we're kind of identifying these genes, it really only is, you know, if you have this, it increases the risk. Exactly. It's just an increase of that risk. And like, just uh, and we already knew that the individual would be at an increased risk if they have someone in their family that has bipolar disorder. So we're, we're, we're aware of that. And for example, someone who has had a difficult childhood in the context of a, an abusive history or someone who, you know, has abused drugs or alcohol, uh, they're at an increased risk for psychiatric problems uh, by virtue of having those types of risk factors. Mm. Well, I want to explore that a little bit um, later on as well. Sure. I want to stay a little bit longer with the genetic issue. Mm-hmm. Can you remind us the difference between genes and DNA and chromosomes and cells? Mm-hmm. It's all very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, our chromosomes are the larger collections uh, or the, the long string of, uh, of DNA. And a gene is made up of uh, uh, the bits 
of the DNA. So the DNA is made up of, uh, of uh, particular molecules, and these molecules are strung together uh, to make a long string of DNA. And a section of, uh, of, um, of this string uh, are there. It could be broken down into units, and these units, uh, you know, linked together, comprise a gene. And these genes are the messages that the cell uses to make the chemicals that uh, cells use to uh, communicate with each other. So nerve impulses, for example, are driven by, um, by substances that are made by genes. And so uh, the hypothesis is, is that these neural substances are the substances that cells use to communicate with each other. Uh, if the genes aren't functioning properly, that they can't make the necessary uh, substances for cells to communicate properly, and we end up being depressed or manic. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, we've also been hearing a lot of ideas about genetic fixes. Are, mm -hmm. are we anywhere close to that? Well, I think that uh, the, in the context of a genetic fix that we're nowhere uh, uh, near that. What we're hoping to achieve in the next decade or so um, would be the um, uh, goal of uh, um, identifying a particular uh, a genetic pattern that might predict a specific outcome, for example, a response to medication or a risk of a, uh, of a side effect for a particular medication. So it would be super if we were able to look at the genetic component of an individual or his uh, the genetic structures or patterns and say, you would respond better to lithium or you would respond better to this medication or that medication. And that is sort of a realistic uh, uh, goal. Uh, uh, and I don't know that we would really want to, you know, have a fix in the sense of, of, um, of um, you know, gene therapy. I, I think that would be very challenging. Okay. Well, um, so 10 years from now, we might be able to see uh, kind of a better prediction instead of such a hit and miss that we have Correct. right now yeah. with our medication. It's very challenging for all of us. That's, yeah. that's exciting news. Um, another thing I've noticed in the news lately, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, an at-home bipolar gene test. Yes. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, uh, these tests are uh, now becoming increasingly available for, for a variety of different diseases, and they are based on the fact, again, that uh, there are variants of particular genes that are more frequently found in individuals with bipolar disorder compared to individuals that do not have the disorder. The uh, problem is that uh, the variants of these genes are neither necessary nor sufficient uh, for one to develop bipolar disorder, and having that variant does not necessarily mean that you're going to develop bipolar disorder. It, it just means that you're at an increased, could be potentially at an increased risk. So again, we go back to the idea of the increased risk and that, that if you take this test and it shows positive, it, it kind of means nothing? Well, it's not necessarily that it means nothing. It just uh, it means that uh, it really means that you have that particular variant and that um, potentially uh, there is a uh, specific uh, risk there. Uh, and um, we're just not quite there yet to be able to make a definitive statement that um, uh, yes, you have um, you have a variant that's going to ultimately lead to the disorder. Um, it, it's a probability. The unfortunate thing, though, is for the individual, it's sort of like you know, if I cross the street, you know, I'm, uh, I have a percentage risk of being hit by a car. But for me, the individual, it's either one or zero. Either I'm going to make it or not. <laughs> you know. And so the. the 
the, the challenge that we face through is is the uh, is the, uh, the, the the difficulty in, in understanding probability and risk. Uh-huh. And the other thing I, I think about when I read about these these genetic tests is I'm not sure that we know every gene that's involved in it. So, Absolutely, we do not know every gene that's involved, and we don't know how genes interact with each other, and we don't know uh, you know whether there are you know you know the good genes and the bad genes, and if you have yeah. enough uh, good genes to outweigh the bad genes, maybe that would uh, confer a, you know a certain degree of resilience as well, and mm-hmm. uh, and the such. Okay, so uh, down the road, I know a lot of consumers worry about the idea of of genetic testing or any involuntary testing at all. You know, what is your thought about that? Do you see that um, as good for the field, bad for the field? Well, uh, so firstly, I think it's important to appreciate that uh, the, the the scientists in the field believe that there are probably going to be in the range of, let's say, for example, a number would be 50 variants of, of a number of different genes that, when they come together in a particular way, could result in bipolar disorder. Now, um, it is likely that the average person on the street would have a number of variants that could, um, if they were aligned with other ones, uh, could you know ultimately result in the disorder, but that sometimes these variants may confer positive features, and so that someone's temperament and personality, uh, you know, could be outgoing, bubbly, uh, energetic, and so on and so forth, but, um, and I don't know this, we don't know this, uh, we can't know this yet, but if they were combined with some other uh, other risk factors or other in other genes, that could uh, ultimately result in, in the, you know, in a bipolar disorder. So I just really, con- I'm very concerned about, uh, you know, the implications of, of genetic testing in the sense of having a uh, any sort of mandatory or, or you know, um, pre- um, how should I say, predictive value to the mm-hmm. sense of, uh, you know, we, we just have to be cautious and, and understand mm-hmm. where we're going with this. Uh, uh, I, I am in favor of genetic testing, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, you know, what we, we just need to really appreciate uh, in better detail what the implications of it are. It's such a complex illness. I, it's I really, such a complex mm-hmm. illness, and it's an illness of, uh, that has fascinated me for the past 25 years. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, and, and as one goes forward and through the, you know, through the lifespan of an individual who's been affected by bipolar disorder at different years uh, in their in their lives, the manifestation of the illness varies, uh, and uh, so it's uh, you know, in, in, in for many an individual, it's not the same pattern of the illness, uh, you know, when they're 55 as when they were 25. Hmm. Uh, now, I, one of the exciting things that you're working on is um, is looking at li- some life stages and 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 doing some exciting research with um, with children of people who live with bipolar disorders. Oh yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're interested to understand uh, how bipolar disorder begins and whether mm-hmm. what if any uh, are the predictive features uh, in adolescents that are offspring of, um, of um, parents that have bipolar 1 disorder. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to to uh, identify predictive uh, risk factors. We're looking to see if we can identify um, protective factors mm-hmm. as well. So in addition mm-hmm. to that, to look at uh, identify uh, both risk and protective factors. So we've talked about, um, you know, the generic... Um, 
link, you know, there's an increased risk. But let's talk about some of the other things you mentioned. You mentioned uh, child abuse and trauma. Mm-hmm. Is that something that can lead to or can increase the risk of? Well, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I will say to my uh, to, to the families and to uh, to my to our to our patients and uh, individuals that are kind enough to research to participate in our research that, uh, in fact, everything my grandmother told me is true. That you know, mm-hmm. having a good uh, you know having a good mom and having being a good parent and, and mm-hmm. you know going and, uh, and and a supportive environment is extremely important. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, all of these things are are, are of value. We've uh, appreciated, for example. In, in the field of depression that individuals who have had a traumatic uh, and abusive background uh, coupled with a particular genetic variant are more likely to develop depression uh, if these two risk factors line up mm-hmm. um, compared comparatively if they only have one of the either the, the, the abuse or the genetic risk factor then they're uh, less likely to, to develop depression uh, as if they uh, as, as compared to if they had both mm-hmm. Wow, and so the same would hold true with like substance abuse. Exactly, um, and so yeah. individuals that have uh, substance abuse or behavioral problems as mm-hmm. in adolescence are, uh, in, in coupled with a genetic uh, susceptibility, just by virtue of having, for example, a parent with bipolar disorder puts them at greater risk for, for mm-hmm. psychiatric uh, mood problems, uh, in mm-hmm. particular, uh, as well as bipolar disorder. One of the fascinating things that we've uh, also identified is, is that anxiety disorders uh, are are um, very important, and, and specifically, uh, for example, uh, social anxiety, social phobias. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing an increased um, uh, frequency of social phobia in offspring of um, of, um, of individuals with bipolar disorder. So the question that we have is that if we can identify social phobia in, in these uh, in these children, uh, identifying and treating that may have a protective influence wow. uh, over the course of time. That's great. What other protective factors are you are you suspecting might be helpful, or are you looking for? Well, the protective factors are, uh, for example, family cohesion, the, mm-hmm. uh, the degree of social support, mm-hmm. uh, the the. Um, uh, if you, if you will, not abusing substances is a protective factor. I always emphasize for adolescents and any person really that I make the diagnosis of a mood disorder and particularly bipolar disorder to point out to them that they are so fortunate to not have that burden on their back of, of abusing substances mm-hmm. uh, and really encourage them to uh, avoid that at all costs and that to not give in to the temptation to go out and uh, drink or use drugs, uh, even though they may feel the burden of despair of depression or the, or the uh, um, revved, energized states of, uh, of mania. Uh, just one more thing you have to cope with then, right? Exactly. And, and I just uh, emphasize, you know, that if they're not doing it, you know, that uh, this is something that is very good and um, make every effort to stay away from these things. A lot of times people with these illnesses ask, you know, two very, very big questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is, should I have children? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what would you say to someone who asks that? And I'm sure your people ask that of you all the time. Exactly. Well, firstly, I ask them, do they want to have children? Uh, and uh, because, uh, firstly, not everybody wants to have children, even though they don't have uh, the you know mm-hmm. genetic burden of, of bipolar disorder, and, mm-hmm. and is uh, 
uh, you know, is uh, starting a family an important aspect of, of their uh, of their of their lives? Uh, secondly, uh, just in genetic risks of diseases uh, in general, the decision to have children in the context of a of an illness uh, that uh, runs in the in the family is really based on the individual's experience of that illness themselves, either in their family of origin or in their current situation. So someone, uh, and this is uh, with any disease, uh, someone who's had a very untoward experience with a particular illness, uh, they will say to themselves, you know, gosh, I do not want to pass this on to my kids. Other people who have had a very mild and, and um, not a bad experience will say, yeah, well, you know, gosh, having this was not a problem. My mother, mother had it, and she took lithium, and that was not a big deal, so, you know, it can't be all that mm-hmm. bad. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, that, that, that's at the end of the day, that's what really drives people's decision as to whether to have children. But we certainly uh, um, recommend that, um, uh, that people um, just make their own minds up as to whether they want to have children, and we do not say to them, you know, definitely not have children. We encourage them to uh, have a family, and we also point out that if, uh, you know, going forward, uh, having a family, having the knowledge of the illness and being able to recognize it at a younger age will uh, make their offspring less likely to develop the illness, and if they do develop it, they'll be able to treat it effectively and early. Nice. And the other big question um, links into, to you know, just what you were you were finishing your statement is, how do I be a good parent? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to do to to help my child? Well, I think that uh, how to be a good parent, of course, is the, would be the topic of a very long <laughs> and when, when we figure that out, yeah. you know, gosh, many of us would, uh, you know, that's because being a parent, uh, one of the quintessential things of being a parent is that one worries about whether one is a good parent or not. And I think that, uh, you know, um, uh, being a good parent is, is uh, you know, is, um, you know, providing a warm, loving uh, environment uh, for uh, one's children and encouraging them uh, to grow and providing the limitations and the boundaries, uh, you know, for their behaviors that mm-hmm. will allow them to prosper and, and, uh, and um, develop according to their developmental stages. So there's no, there's nothing that says, oh, because I live with bipolar disorder, I won't be a good parent. There's not, absolutely. Uh, because you live with bipolar disorder, you have every uh, likelihood of being a good parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the important thing is that to be a good parent, one has to be at one's best health at any given time. So the mm-hmm. first obligation uh, one has as a parent is to be as healthy as one can be oneself. Well, I am just fascinated with this research that you're going to be doing, and I see it is so important for the field. We're not doing enough talking about those protective factors. And, right. you know, this whole issue of heritability is so mm-hmm. important to all of us. How can people get involved and, and help in this process? Well, they can get involved by uh, contacting us uh, here at the uh, University of, uh, of Michigan. Uh, there is, uh, there'll be a website that'll be um, on the um, um, DBSA uh, website that they can link to to uh, participate. They can uh, contact us uh, uh, here. I think our number is um, uh, 1-866-UM-GENES is the number. Uh, or they can contact my office here. Uh, 
the area code 734-936-6018, and uh, we'll talk about how, how they can participate uh, in this. It doesn't really matter whether they're uh, locally uh, or uh, scattered around the, the country. We can do this by telephone. Blood tests can be taken at local labs uh, and such. Uh, and we're also a part of a number of, uh, or a collaborative group um, between the University of Michigan, uh, Indiana University, Washington University at St. Louis, and Johns Hopkins University. So there are a number of nodes that uh, participation can go on at. A lot of people, um, when they have these illnesses and they've they've struggled with them and they they move to wellness, mm-hmm. you know, and all all that that means, they say, "What can I do to help?" And this is something that people really can do to help the field. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we believe that if we can understand um, the genetic component to it, if we, we believe that if we can understand the risk factors, you know, genes and environment, uh, they interact with each other, and um, the illness um, evolves over time. And, and as I mentioned earlier on, it's a different illness uh, in, in an adolescent than it is in an adult. So you're specifically looking for people who live with bipolar disorder who have children? We're, we're looking for that. We're also looking for individuals that have bipolar disorder who wish to be a part of a, um, uh, a study of bipolar disorder. We have a number of uh, collaborative efforts going on. Uh, one of our efforts is uh, through the Prechter Bipolar Research uh, uh, Group here at, um, at the University of Michigan. And in that project, we're seeking adults that have bipolar 1 disorder to participate in a longitudinal study of, um, of the illness. So uh, we're, we're a group here that's you know, committed to bipolar disorder uh, from uh, adolescence onward uh, into adulthood, uh, and um, we're, we're just, um, I've been working with this illness for the past 25 years, and um, my, it's been my career and will continue to be my mm-hmm. career. Uh, I'm uh, totally committed to the illness. Well, I have to say, you know, I'm just so thankful to you that you you have spent your life on this, and Indeed. all of your skill and your passion is going to help people like me and, and, and other people, the millions and millions have come to the DBSA website. So on behalf of everyone, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Of course. This has been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call 1-800-826-3632. We've been there. We can help.